Right, I have a, a ladder here. This ladder is the stairway to heaven, the ladder of good and bad. So up the top is good, down the bottom is bad. I want you to imagine that we're putting everyone on this ladder somewhere. So if someone was really good, we'd put them up the top. I'm thinking, for example, Fred Hollows. So dedicated his life to helping other people. They think over a million people have sight because of Fred Hollows. So let's put him right up there. Good fellow. And someone really bad who we might put down the bottom. Let's go for Michael Murphy. I was reading about him during this week because he just died in Long Bay Jail. He was one of the four men convicted for the Anita Cobby murder back in 1986. A brutal, uh, savage murder. So I'm thinking we'd put him down the bottom. And then somewhere in the middle, I'm guessing we'd put most people, your average Aussie, the ladder of good and bad. I wonder where you would put yourself. Middle? A bit below the average Aussie? A bit above? Probably you wouldn't put yourself right at the bottom because most of us can find someone worse than us. Although some people might think they deserve to go at the bottom. And we probably wouldn't put ourselves right at the top, would we? Even if we thought we deserved to be right at the top, it would look arrogant, so we'd just put ourselves a little bit down. But I wonder where you'd put yourself. Now, according to Romans, that's not the important question. It doesn't matter how we go compared to other people. The important question from the book of Romans that we've been looking at so far is, where does God draw the line in terms of who can be right with him? In other words, if God was going to draw a line on that ladder as to who deserved to go to heaven and who didn't, where would he draw the line? Would he put it right down there? In other words, everyone can be forgiven. Everyone gets in. Or would it be up a little bit? So, okay, the really bad people, they're in trouble, but your average Aussie, you know, she'll be right. You know, the whole will be mates. Or would the line be up here? So most people wouldn't get into heaven, but the really, really good people would, if it was based on what we do, I'm saying. Or would it be up here that no one would make it? If God was to draw a line based on what we do, what we saw last week in Romans is that no one would make it because Romans was telling us we all fall short. And so to make it possible for anyone to be right with God, God actually draws a different line. God divides humanity in two, but it's not based on how good or bad they are. It is based on whether they trust him or not. Okay, he draws a line right down the middle of humanity, a line of faith. Now, if you have faith, if you trust Jesus, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are. In one sense, you're off the ladder. That doesn't matter anymore. If you have faith, you are made right with God. So if you're on that side of the ladder, if you have faith, doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. According to God, the only thing that matters 
is whether you trust him or not. So you could be the best person in the world on this side of the line. But if you have not trusted Jesus, you won't be okay with God. Because even the best person in the world has at some point in their life rejected God. Now, does that sound a bit strange to you? That the best person in the world isn't good enough to make it, but the worst person who ever lived can make it if they trust Jesus. If that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, then you've probably understood it because that is exactly what the Bible is saying and it is outrageous. And if you feel just a bit um, uncomfortable hearing this, imagine how you would have felt if you were a first century Jewish person back in Paul's day where your whole life was spent trying to be at the top of the ladder, trying to obey the law. Your whole life was spent trying to be good enough for God. Where from a young age you were told if you were good enough, you would be okay with God. And then Paul comes along in Romans and he says, none of that matters. It is not based at all on what you do. Well, that is outrageous. And that's why we have Romans chapter 4, this chapter we're looking at this morning, because Paul here goes on to answer some objections to this idea that we're saved by faith. Paul goes on to answer three objections to, that God's forgiveness raises. And the three questions that Paul goes on to answer, you can see them on your bulletin there. The first question is, is this really the way that God treats people? I mean, is it really by faith? that we're made right with God. Because couldn't you argue from the Old Testament that it's actually a bit, a little bit at least, by what you do? So that's the first question. Is this really, have we understood this rightly? Secondly, okay, God saves people by faith, but is it just faith? Or is there something else that we need along with our faith as well? And the third question is, well, what actually is faith anyway? And we're going to work our way through those questions this morning. So firstly, is it really by faith that we are made right with God. Does God really forgive anybody, no matter how bad they are and what they have done, freely, and it's not based on what they do at all? Is it really by faith? Paul's answer is yes. And to prove this, Paul takes his readers back 2,000 years, for us it's 4,000 years, to Abraham. Now, if you want to win an argument with a Jewish person, just go back to Abraham. That's where it all started. That's what Paul does. And Paul simply makes the point here that being made right with God by faith, it's not something new. No, even Abraham was declared right with God by faith not by what he did. So let's pick it up in Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Now, Paul's just been saying at the end of the last chapter we can't boast. So his point here is, well, if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about. But no, he doesn't. He wasn't justified by works. And then he quotes from Genesis to show us that when Abraham was made right with God, it was a gift. Paul is quoting here from Genesis 15. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, this is a, before the nation of, Abra, of Israel existed, the world was a very bad place. So, so far in the Bible, we've had Adam and Eve who blatantly disobeyed God in the garden. Then we've had Cain murdering his brother Abel. And then we had the flood where God wiped out most of the human race because of their wickedness. And then we've had the Tower of Babel where people were trying to turn themselves into God. It's not too different, different to what we've been reading about in Romans the last few weeks, really. And into all that mess where human beings are messing up this world and rejecting God. God chose a man called Abraham. Abram was his name then. And God said to Abraham, through you, I'm going to start again. And in Genesis 15, you can go and look it up later if you like, God took Abraham outside and he said, look up at the stars. And he said to Abraham, see how many stars there are in the sky? That's how many descendants that you will have. It was an outrageous promise to make because Abraham was old, his wife was old, and she was barren. But straight after God makes this outrageous promise to Abraham, the very next words in Genesis 15.6 are these words in Romans 4.3. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul's going back and he's quoting from Genesis at the point at which Abraham believed God. Now, Abraham believed God. That's, that's okay. God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham believed it. Abraham trusted God. The next bit's a bit strange, though. It was credited to him as righteousness. What does that mean? It seems to be saying that somehow it was credited. Uh, God so, sort of made a, a deposit into Abraham's spiritual bank account, a deposit of righteousness, of goodness. It seems to be saying that when Abraham trusted God's promise, God made Abraham right with him. That is exactly what it is saying. God took Abraham way back then and he justified him by faith. Okay, It's exactly what we were looking at last week about what Jesus does with us. God counted Abraham as righteous. God looked on Abraham as not guilty. And when God did that, it wasn't because of something Abraham did. It was simply because Abraham trusted God. Okay, it was a gift. Abraham didn't earn it. And Paul goes on now to make this point that it was a gift. He goes on to explain the difference between a gift, where you give something to someone for free, and a payment or a wage or a salary, you know, where your boss pays you at the end of the week. You don't say when you get your paycheck, oh, thank you, boss, you're so generous. No, you earned it. So that's what Paul goes on in verse 4. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. Okay, you deserve it. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God 
who justifies the wicked, that's very provocative, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, I need a volunteer because this is just outrageous and I want to demonstrate it. Hands up, I just need one volunteer. But you need to trust me. You need to be able to trust me. I'll go for Riley up the back there. Sit down, Paul. Yeah, beautiful. I saw Riley blink. I'll take it as putting his hand up. Now, do you trust me? Yeah. Yeah, come up a bit more. more. <laughs> so, I have $50 here, and I want to give it to you as a gift, okay? For free for you to have, right? But I'm actually going to make you a promise. If you trust me that I'm going to give it to you, I'll give it to you. Right. So, do you trust me? I trust you. It's yours. Great. Thank That's you. it. No worries. Okay, have a seat. That's it. Yep, it really is. That is it. So, yes, it is staggering. It is outrageous. Riley trusted me, and I credited him with $50, okay? It was a gift, a free gift. Now, Riley, did, have you worked for me this week? You've been out mowing my lawn or anything? Um, am I paying you for a job that you did for me yesterday? No. If this was a payment, okay, if, if Riley had been my employee, it would not be a gift. But it really is a gift because Riley did not earn it. He did nothing, okay? All he did was he trusted me that I'd give him $50. He trusted my promise. Now, that's what verse 4 and 5 are saying about Abraham. If Abraham did anything to earn his righteousness, it would not have been a gift, And Paul goes on to give another example, exactly the same, because this is outrageous that God would just go giving away gifts freely like this. But this time it's King David. Have a look at verse 6. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Verse 7. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. David here, again, he's talking about the same thing. Here God is doing something for free. What he's doing, God is forgiving people freely. So Paul has gone back to the Old Testament with Abraham and David to show us that being forgiven by God, it's not something new. It is always the way that God has treated people. And that's because this is the only way that you can be made right with God, okay? Even in the Old Testament, you couldn't be good enough for God. It's always been the only way that you can be right with God is through faith. So that's Paul's first question answered. Is it really through faith, through just trusting that we're made right with God? Paul's saying, yes, it is. It is a free gift, from God, to anyone who trusts him. Which raises a second question. This one's a little bit subtler, but this is, I think, the way we tend to perhaps think. Is it really just 
faith. Uh, we get the idea that God saves us th- because we trust him, but is there, is there something we need to do as well as that? Surely you have to have faith and then do something. So, for example, a Jew in Paul's day, if you wanted to be one of God's people, there was faith involved, but you also needed to be circumcised. Now, we've heard a bit about circumcision in the reading. When you read circumcised, it's just it's part of their obedience to God. It's obeying the law. It's the sign that they're part of God's people. Abraham was circumcised. Did that count for something? See, it could be said, and if you were a Jew, maybe you would argue along these lines, that we do do something like get circumcised or obey the law. And maybe that gets you 80% of the way and then God tops up the rest, okay? God credits you that last little bit that you can't make. Paul says, no. Even that's not how it works. Abraham's circumcision did not count for anything. The reason we know that is because his circumcision came after he was completely made right with God. Verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. Simple point, really. Abraham believed God in Genesis chapter 15. God credited it to Abraham as righteousness in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis 15, Abraham is right before God. Read on two chapters to to Genesis 17, that's when Abraham is circumcised. It came after. Now, I just gave $50 to Riley as a gift. Let's say after church, I don't think this would happen, but just say Riley's mucking around a bit. You know, he comes up here and he decides to have a bit of a smash on the drums. We have a rule that we don't like people playing with the drums. So I go up to Riley and I say, Riley, would you mind not playing on the drums. And he's a good fella. He gets straight off. He stops playing on the drums. Does that mean my $50 that I gave him beforehand is not a gift anymore? So I gave him a gift in the past. After that, he's done something I asked him to do. Now, because he's obeying me, does that kind of somehow go back and work that the $50 is a gift? No, of course not. Okay, that is stupid. It could be that he's more likely to obey me now that I've given him a gift because he kind of likes me or he's my friend or something, but it had nothing to do with him earning that $50. I gave it as a gift before he obeyed me. That's Paul's point here. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness as a gift. He was circumcised after that. So it's stupid, it's just foolish to try and say that Abraham was made right with God by being circumcised. He was already right with God. His circumcision didn't have anything to do with it. Now, Paul goes on in in 11 and 12. Um, You can switch off for this bit if you want. It's a bit complicated, but he's just applying that to everyone. See, the Jews had humanity divided up into two groups. There's the Jews 
They were descended by Abraham. They had circumcision. They were the ones who obeyed God. They must be the ones who were right with God. Then there were the Gentiles. Okay, they are not circumcised. They don't even have the law, let alone obey it. They are a long way from God. And the Jews thought that is how God divides humanity. Okay, the good and the bad. Paul says that's not how God divides humanity. God divides humanity into those who have faith, who trust him, and those who don't. And Paul goes on firstly to then divide the Gentiles in half into Gentiles who have faith and Gentiles who don't have faith. Verse 11. So then, Abraham is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised. Okay, that's the Gentiles who trust Jesus. In order that righteousness might be credited to them, the Gentiles who trust Jesus. And then Paul even goes on to divide the Jews in half so that not even all the Jews are saved, but only the Jews who have faith in Jesus are saved. Verse 12. Abraham is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. See, the children of Abraham, the people who are right with God, it's not those who are keeping rules. It's those who have faith. Now, Paul's saying kind of the same thing over and over, but this is outrageous. And so really to ram it home, Paul now says, if you try to add what you do to faith, so if you try and have faith and what I do, okay, you know, I'll cover both faces, bases. Paul says if you try and do that, you actually undermine your faith. Verse 14. For if it is those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless. Sorry to do this to you, Riley, but just stand up there. Have you got that $50? Get it out. Now, hold it up, because you may have to give it back now. <laughs> okay? If you wash my car after church, you can keep that $50. If you don't wash my car, you lose it. How do you feel about that? Yeah, but don't, don't. Don't wash my car. <laughs> Sit down. I'm joking. I would not do that because I made a promise, didn't I? Okay, now, what have I just done? I have completely undermined my promise. My promise was, you can have this $50 as a free gift. The moment I add a condition to that, you've got to wash my car, the promise is worthless. Okay, it's not based on the promise anymore. It's based on whether he obeys me. It's the same with God. It's not just that you are made right with God by faith. It's that you can't add to that. You can't, God doesn't have other conditions. You can't be made any more right with God by what you do. You can't secure your faith by what you do. If after you have faith, you then try and start, you try to earn your place in God's good books, you're basically saying, I don't trust God's promise. My faith wasn't enough. 
You know, God's going back on his word. If you think that something of what you do as a Christian will count to your being right with God, you have not understood faith. Nothing you do can make you any more right with God than you already are, if you trust Jesus. And nothing you do can make you any less right with God than you are. Okay, you're perfect with him. Nothing you do can make God forgive you any more than he already has. Okay, It's all gone. And nothing that you do can make God forgive you any less than he has. Okay, He's completely forgiven you. It is not about what you do. How are you made right with God? It is by faith alone. God has done it as a free gift. Full stop. That's it. Which makes it really important to understand what faith is. If, if faith is how we're made right with God, well, we want to be clear about what faith is and what faith isn't. And that's what chapter 4 ends with. At the end of chapter 4, we find out that faith simply means trusting what someone says. Because that's what Abraham did. God made a promise. Abraham trusted it. It is that simple. Verse 20 of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 20. We're looking at Abraham's faith here. Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, his trust of God, and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, this is my last... um, example with Riley. You can relax after this one. When Riley came out the front and I said, I'm going to give you $50. Do you trust me? Riley didn't have to trust me. In fact, if he didn't know me or I'd, you know, led him to mistrust me if I'd made promises before that I hadn't kept, he could have said, Wayne, I know you. That's stupid. You're going to make a fool of me and walked away. Or Riley could have thought, he did think, I trust Wayne. And I gave him the gift. Now, his trust didn't earn the $50. His trust is simply that he trusted me who made the promise. That's what faith is. Verse 21, being fully persuaded that God has power to do what he had promised. Faith is trusting God's promise. Faith is not some kind of emotion that you kind of work your way up. You know, I've got 10%, I've got 20%. If I really believe, yes, now I've got faith. Okay, it's not that, is it? Because Jesus says faith as small as a mustard seed, the tiniest bit of faith. Faith's not some kind of weird spiritual experience that you need to have when you're singing or something. No, faith is simply being persuaded that God will keep his promise. It's trusting God. That when God makes a promise, he is trustworthy. 
you can trust it. And this is not just about God's promise to Abraham. This is about the promise that God makes to all of us. Have a look in verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, Abraham, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us, who believe in him, who raised Jesus Christ, or Jesus our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins. He was raised to life for our justification. We are now reading God's promise to us. We've moved on from the promise to Abraham, and this is God's promise to you here this morning. This is God's promise to make you right with him. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is able to forgive you through Jesus? That's the question. The question isn't do you deserve it? Okay, none of us deserve it. The question isn't what have you done or are you good enough? None of us is good enough. The question is, are you persuaded? Do you trust that God will do it? Do you believe Jesus that when he died, he was able to take away your sin? Will you trust him? That's what this is about. Because if you want to be made right with God, if you want righteousness to be credited to you, like it was to Abraham... All you have to do is say to God, I believe you. In the end, this is between you and God. And there's nothing magical about how you do that. You can do that here at church. If you like, you can come down the front after church and talk to myself or Alan or the person who bought you and you you just say, I want to become a Christian. You know, how do I tell God I trust him? Or you can do it at home, sitting in a chair or on your bed, you just talk to God. The point is, though, the death of Jesus doesn't automatically forgive everyone. You need to personally put your trust in God. Is that you? Have you trusted God? Have you said yes to his offer of forgiveness? Now, you might think, How can that work? How could God possibly forgive me? The things I've done or the things I've said. It might look hopeless to you. That's exactly how it looked to Abraham. He was desperate. Look there at verse 18. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed you can even trust god when it seems like there's no hope god's promise might look outrageous it might seem too good to be true but god's promise to you is this and he will keep it if you trust his son 
you will be made right with him. So which side of this line will you be on? Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father God, we have covered a lot in this passage this morning. There's a lot of detail in one sense, but really your message is so clear. You just want us to trust you. It is that simple. Thank you for that. Thank you that the way for us to be made right with you is so simple. Thank you that it's a gift. All we need to do is accept it. Thank you that you offer it freely to anyone and everyone who will trust you. And yet, Father, there's our pride that stops us from receiving it. There's all sorts of things going on in our hearts where we don't want to trust you, we don't want to acknowledge that you are God or that there is a God. So we pray that you would be at work in us, that we might trust you, every person here, that we might be forgiven. Father, we are sorry for the way that we've treated you. Thank you for what Jesus has done. And thank you for the forgiveness that he brings us. Amen.